Welcome to Think Smart, Feel Smart, Live Smart. I'm V. Vincy, Registered Counselor, Relationship and Family Therapist and Founder of Headquarters Counselling Services. This podcast aims to break down the overwhelm of life and equip you with a toolbox of knowledge, tips and tricks to help you live your best life. This raw, real and unproduced podcast uses audio taken from my weekly live broadcast in the HQCS Community Facebook group. You can find a link to the community in the episode notes. It's free to join. Now let's get started. If you have just joined us tonight, then you are coming in on our conversation about the ego. Now, ego is a word that pretty much most people have heard about, but you know, often there is not a huge amount of understanding around it. So what is it? Well, that's the multi—that's the multi-million-dollar question, and that's why sometimes there's not a lot of understanding around it because the ego is really difficult to define. It isn't one specific thing. It's actually made up of many different beliefs that a person gets over their lifetime. Okay, so those beliefs can be really diverse, and and really sometimes they can be contradictory. And to further complicate it, each person's ego is different. So if someone were to clearly identify and describe all the parts of their ego and what it drives them to do in their behaviours, you more than likely won't get a good description of what yours looks like because it's totally different. And that is both the beauty of individuals and the nemesis because it's not a one uh, you know, we're not a one-size-fits-all model. We can't go and go, all right, he's got anxiety, let's give him this, let's do that. It doesn't work like that because there's so many contributions to what has shaped a person. It needs to be a um, model just for you. So that's why it always takes a little bit of time and, and counsellors and psychs and therapists, they need to know the story. They need to know the story of how you got where you are. Okay, so... The challenge of becoming aware of what your personal ego looks like becomes more difficult because, you know, often our culture doesn't reward us for directing our attention, our attention inward and noticing such things. Like I said last week, the shadow is not a popular topic. So how do you spot it? Ego is a little bit difficult to see because it hides behind opinions that appear true. It hides behind our attachment to descriptions of our of our identity, such as I'm no good at math or I'm good at speaking or you're pretty, those sorts of identities. They're, they're little statements that people have might have said to us once or twice and all of a sudden we start to believe them. The other reason it's difficult is because we aren't practised at looking for it. You can get glimpses by noticing certain thoughts, which is something I work with in session. The easiest way to spot the ego is by the trail of emotional reactions it leaves behind. And this is what usually leads people to make an appointment, anger at a loved one, a need to be right, a feeling of insecurity in certain situations, feelings of jealousy that are unexplained or the need to impress someone and, and so on. These emotions can be attributed to false beliefs that make up the ego. In the beginning, it's easy to see the symptoms of those emotions and drama rather than the ego that caused it, okay? 
one of the most uh, deceptive aspects of the ego is that it generates really powerful emotional reactions and then blames us for how it's made us feel. Now, we've been looking at this a little bit in terms of meta-emotions, the month of guilt, because when there's blame, there's guilt. So after we overreact with anger or we might feel badly for what we've expressed, the ego shifts to a blaming self and berates us for overreacting with that anger. And at the same time, it can assume that the identity of being the idiot that didn't know any better and takes the blame for overreacting. Now, all these attitudes, thoughts and beliefs take place in our mind. And even though they are completely different, we assume all of them come from us and they were, they're really expressions of us uh, towards ourselves. But, you know, the thing is that we have been talking about blind self and all those things. And, you know, there is actually what we call genuine self, true self. And if all these expressions were really coming from our true selves, they wouldn't contradict. We would be able to stop them because they would just be making sense. They would apply to what is directly in front of us and we would go, well, no, hang on, that's not what's in front of us, but it doesn't do that. It contradicts them and so we can't stop them. To the unaware person, it's difficult to identify the, the difference between what the e what's the ego and what's genuine self. And they're left to wonder, what came over me? Why did I react that way? And you know what? Even if we do a post-emotional analysis, we lack the consideration to see the different parts of our belief system at work as separate. So we don't just have one big fat old belief system. We've got a whole stack of them. We've got lots of little beliefs. It's those little beliefs that contribute to our ego acting out certain things. Okay, so when the ego controls the self-reflection process, you have very little chance of seeing the root cause of your emotional dramas as the ego hides behind itself and in self-criticism. And this is why it's really good to work with someone and why we've been looking at blind self as opposed to the huge big ego. All right, but that's the sort of work where I come in and we can do stuff like that. And in fact, I'm working on something now that's going to help everyone be able to look at ego in a way that doesn't require one-on-one -on -one consults all the time, but we still get that care where I can help you navigate through it, okay? Now, this can lead us to asking, is the, is the ego arrogant or insecure? The answer is that it's a little bit of both. And having an ego is usually associated with arrogance and is a term used to describe someone who thinks they are better than others. But that's only one part of the ego. In fact, it's possible to have positive self-esteem and negative self-esteem. And we're, when we, um, because we have different beliefs at different times, the negative beliefs make up our negative self-esteem and our positive thoughts comprise of our positive self-esteem. So together, the negative and the positive can form the ego, and this is what makes it resistant to change. Because let's face it, our biggest obstacle to change is what's staring back at us in the mirror. And the main force that feeds us to misinformation and prevents us from changing is our ego. 
There's a good amount of work written about the ego, but I wonder if anyone other than the psych nerds have looked into it. Because, you know, shout out if by your bedside table right now is a book about the ego. Because unfortunately, I can answer yes to that. But then again, that just proves my nerd point. So two big writers of the ego are two guys called Stephen Pressfield and Seth Godin. And they both name it differently. Regardless, Stephen Pressfield's resistance and Seth God's, God, uh, Godin's lizard brain resides in your ego, where it tells us that we're not worthy or that we're less than. So your ego, for me, I'm going to say, is the bookstore where all our bullshit stories are manufactured and they prevent us from doing what comes first in creating change. And that is confronting reality. Now, this is essentially what shadow work is seeing the world as it is. Why haven't I approached that girl yet? Your ego doesn't want you to feel rejected. Why haven't I emailed that person I'd love to work with? Your ego tells you it's because they may say no, but really it could be because you're afraid that they may say yes. Why can't I stop? Insert bad habit. Because then you'd actually have time to, you know, do something. Your ego produces nagging questions from your inner critic that plead for the world to be as you'd like it to be. Reality has the answers your ego doesn't want to confront. And this pretty much sums up a lot of my day. Taking the shit that people bring in and shaking off all the glitter so we can see what's really there and then deal with it. No judgment, no criticism, no blame, just pure unadulterated reality wrapped up with a ton of compassion so that you can make a change that works for you. Of course, there's always going to be systemic and personal issues at play here. We aren't all born into loving families, but your ego plays a really large role in keeping you stuck in excuses, in excuses that prevent you from taking that painful first step and can keep you stuck in your old reality and old behaviours and old ways. By being brutally honest with ourselves and seeing reality for what it is, we're able to free ourselves from this mental baggage. Remember the bag we packed for the first 20 years of our life? Yep, that old chestnut. So what is the job of the ego? Why do we have it? Well, it defends us from, we can leave that bit blank because it can defend defend you from anything. The reality is, is the ego is created in defense. At one point, it worked. When we were children, our ego helped us develop coping mechanisms to deal with an unfamiliar, overwhelming world, which many of us, you know, for many of us, it's no longer useful and often counterproductive as adults. What worked for, as children doesn't work as adults anymore. It doesn't matter how much work you do on your shadow, your ego will always be around. And let me tell you, thank God for that. It is what saves you from danger and death. Think about it. When I'm walking down an alley late at night, I definitely want my ego to be around. The problem, it cannot tell real danger from imagined danger. And it has one single goal. Protect the ego. Protect the status quo. Do not change and you will not die flawed in its thinking, but, you know, pretty handy at times. 
This is why the last pages of a paper are always so hard to finish. It's why you have business cards printed for a new business, but you don't have the balls to approach your first prospect. It's why those problems you thought would stay behind you in the city you left followed you. It's that nagging thought at 2 a.m. in the morning that says, you're more than this, and yet we continue to do the same thing as the day before. So what's the solution? Well, it's a funny one. It's actually creation. Yep, you heard me, creation. Now, that means something different to everyone, and I like to chunk this answer down because there's a huge amount of stuff online that spruiks find your purpose in life, have we lost our meaning, and if you're listening to me, I've got a similar audience to that in that we're all looking for something that makes us feel better um, or helps us to forget where we are. But the Find Your Purpose Brigade can sometimes just make you feel absolutely worse. From a marketing perspective, it absolutely feeds on the insecurities of the ego. Purpose and meaning do not have to mean that you are speaking to or doing something completely out of your comfort zone or constantly searching for something that will give you purpose. Purpose for me means you know who you are. You have looked at all the sides of yourself, good, bad, and the ugly, and you neither dislike or like. It's simply that you are neutrally able to accept all those bits. From this point, this is where the gold begins, because once this is in play, your genuine self or your true self is able to shine and breathe. And once this happens, well, if you remember way back in episode one, go back and check it out if you missed it, you get to think. And when I say think, I mean mind wander. Mind wandering is that space that provides creative solutions to gaps in our life. It's the stuff that we don't like. Humans don't like gaps. The bonus is when we see ourselves for who we are, what we have achieved, what we have gone through, and what we have now changed, then instead of looking at past gaps, we get to find the ones in front of us. These are the future gaps. This is the potential. This is likely to create something for you. This is can simply be to create the space to sit the fuck back and do whatever you want, nothing or everything. Stephen Pressfield wrote in The War of Art, the self wishes to create and evolve. The ego likes things just the way they are. If you're unhappy with your habits, self-image, or your lot in life, your ego is likely the culprit holding you back from doing anything about it, not the system. The system doesn't hold you back. So why don't we change? Well, I've probably explained some of those reasons above. It's bloody uncomfortable. We really don't recognize the need to change because we don't question what we do. But if we do start to look, we often don't look inward. We're generally looking outward and so it was his fault or it was her fault. So generally most people don't take too kindly to change, especially when it's thrust upon them without their input. And people react to change in you know heaps of different ways. Some may respond with fear while others may respond with denial. This resistance to change can be better handled if we knew the reasons why. Now, most of you will know, and for those of you who don't, you would have figured out by now that I work in this industry every day, one-to-one -one consults in my office. What some of you may not know is that whilst I work with individuals in you know, pretty intense emotional situations, I've also got another part of my business that deals with the corporate world. 
So via EAPs, which is an Employee Assistance Program. This doesn't mean that corporations on my books don't have emotional issues. Like their employees often do have emotional issues. But in most instances, when I'm dealing with the business, I have to, um, or in, if I'm dealing with individuals in the business, I need to depersonalize them in order to, for the situation to be assessed for what it actually is, a business decision. Right. This has taught me some really golden rules that I apply when working with each and often with the corporation itself. I need to add in some emotion and say, remember, there are people involved in here. Whilst when I'm working with the individuals in the intent emotional situations, I do the opposite and I take out the emotion and add in some business. So I thought today what I do is give you a bit of that and, and it, I'll give you the five corporate reasons people resist change and then we're going to adapt them for this situation because this helps depersonalize the whole issue and look at it from a distance because if there's one thing that I know with ego work if I don't help someone depersonalize from what we're going to look at when you tell someone um, do you know what I've noticed that you can be really aggressive in the way you speak they immediately get defensive but and that's just listening to that they immediately get defensive that's how we know the ego is in play it wants to protect you from insults but sometimes it confuses an insult with the truth and if these behaviors are starting to affect how we react with our relationships and damaging our relationships then we need to look at them for what they are so what are the five reasons, corporate reasons, people resist change? Well, number one, people fear being different. We're creatures of habit and for the most part, we love routines and procedure. If it hasn't been done before, then you likely can't see the end from the beginning. This is where clarity comes in in two ways. We can't change what we're not aware of. And ask yourself, who would I want to be and what is it about them that I am drawn to, right? Because it's when you can see something else that you can go, well, maybe I can do something else. What don't I like about myself and what do I like in others? Because that may be giving you a guide to where you can head. Number two, people feel overwhelmed or stressed. Fatigue can be an absolute killjoy for change. People resist change simply because they're tired. And when people are tired, they tend to be cranky, angry, irritable, and often that just inhibits insight. That's the ability to see both inward and outward. And this is asking the question, what do I need to look at to get me where I want to be? It's been my experience that when the environment is tense, the people in that environment will be the same way. So we can all relate to this on a personal level when you walk into a room and we know there's something wrong. We've all felt it. We all get a little tense. We know that something's not right. COVID is proving the fact, not only on a national level, but a global one. When this is the case, we have to be understanding of people's complaints and attentive to their needs throughout the change process. Keep the reasoning for change front and centre. Remember, make the environment more conducive for change. So how does this convert to you as an individual? Exactly as it sounds. Become understanding of your own complaints and use these as a way 
to be attentive to what your needs are. Number three, people fear a departure from the status quo. Now, by definition, implementing change is a departure from the way it's always been done. The ego who may be a part of the old way or who has another idea is likely to be defensive of both. Transformation can make people feel uncomfortable, but if we embrace change by acknowledging those parts of our past that were good, while at the same time making it clear that change is necessary, then we give ourselves a gift. It's the gift of acceptance and that we don't have to be perfect, that we don't have to be anything, that we can laugh at ourselves, even when we've behaved like a twat sometimes, and that it's the best gift of all. Because acceptance of all those things, with acceptance, what you get is freedom just to be. And not be anyone, anything, or any better, just be. And that, my friends, is peace. Plain, quiet peace. If I could bottle that shit, I'd be a millionaire. People come in to me every day. I just want you to give me some peace. I say, oh, God, do it. But I want to help you find it. Now, Number five, this is one. Now, remember, this is based on a um, corporate model. So the last one is people lack trust in the one making the decisions. When people respect their leaders, so this is corporate, so they're looking for the leader. And often you will know if you're working in an organisation and you've got a problem at the top, change is hard because the, the leader is not respected. Right? It's often because the leader has not built their trust. And when a new leader steps in, uh, it's important that the new leader be embraced and embrace the responsibility of building trust with the people they lead. If trust is not built, then mistrust is the default response and mistrust often becomes evident in resistance to change. Leaders can build trust by being honest and then by including people in the change process. They can then create an environment in which people believe the change can be implemented and managed for the benefit of all. Now, I know that I've said this is a business model, but I've left this in for a reason. Because when I talk about the leader, I'm talking about you. The part of you that knows that doing the same thing over and over again is causing you grief. The part of you that you need to tap into and learn to trust. The part of you that by being honest with yourself can create an environment that is safe to implement change. Many pe people prefer to, um, for things to stay the way they are than to head off into a direction that is largely uncharted or unknown. And by instinct, we know that a new way can present both problems and possibilities. But did you know that by avoiding the problems, you reject the possibilities? And that is our creativity being sapped away. So what the hell do you do? Well, I think it's safe to say that this shit ain't easy. A lot of my work is referral work. And people say, go CV, she'll help you sort it out as soon as possible. Now, this is always interesting to me because I very much work on a therapy doesn't have to be forever thing. However, I say to, peop I say pe I say to people this one thing. Don't confuse a fast track with an easy track. Nothing of value is ever that easy. So start with the basics. This is going to go over some of the stuff we've talked about before. Center yourself. 
This is perhaps the most important thing to do before you engage going the path, down the path of looking at yourself, warts and all. It's almost never mentioned, but one of the first things I do with people is to help them recenter so that we can work in a space of insight, not hindsight. Cultivate self-compassion. This fits with our self-care work. Make a promise to yourself to create a sense of unconditional friendliness. Without friendliness and self-compassion, it's difficult to look at the darker stuff. If you're hard on yourself when you make mistakes, it's difficult to confront your shadow. If you're accustomed to feeling shame or guilt, you need to swap those suckers out with friendliness, self-acceptance and self-compassion. Start by accepting your own humanness. Remember that we all have a shadow. Cultivate self-awareness. Seeing the shadow requires a self-reflected mindset, the ability to reflect and observe our behaviours, thoughts and feelings without judging them. Just look and go, what do I do? Or Jesus, I did realise that I did that. When we go into the mindfulness, if you go back to the mindfulness session in self-care month, mindfulness helps foster that non-judgmental awareness and it's the ability to stay aware of the present moment without involving that crazy bloody inner critic or the other modes of judgment. And now this one is my favourite. And I've got to say, every client who books in an appointment with me, they don't realise that they are using this every time they make an appointment. I think any time anybody makes an appointment to see a therapist, they are being courageously honest. And I absolutely live by this motto. Some people say that I'm brutally honest in reality. But in my experience, by the time people have gone to the effort of looking for an external help system that they're paying, then they really are looking for something that they have not been able to find. And sometimes honesty is the best policy as long as it's wrapped up in some compassion. So self-honesty and integrity are prerequisites for shadow work. It's easy to give lip service to these qualities but true self-honesty means being willing to see the unpleasant side in our behaviors and our personality it's often uncomfortable to come to terms with your disowned parts which is why the ego invests so much energy in squashing them seeing and accepting your insecure and selfishness can be really challenging Take an honest look at your attitudes, behaviours, thoughts and emotions absolutely requires courage. The rewards are worth the discomfort as these honest confrontations with your shadow can help heal. And this courageous act unlocks more of your creative potential, opening up a whole new world of possibilities for you. And you know what, if you have, if this has brought up anything for you, because sometimes looking at this, people go, oh my God, I've, I've seen something and then I don't like what I've seen. This is one of the, um, the topics that, you know, if you need to speak to someone, ring up, book in a consult. These can be in person or online nowadays. And you know, the power of online consults, don't overlook it. One of my first ever consults was a client in a donga in Dubai. And I thought, oh my God, this is gonna be terrible. But, you know, to my surprise, it was probably one of the first times that I recognised the power of the online world. So don't be afraid to reach out. Now, the changes um, and the steps to change will be in handout. I will see you next week when we return with an absolute ripper. Something that we all know and hate, self-doubt. Adios. 
Have a great night. I will see you then. Ciao.